everyone. My name is Ariana, and welcome to Case Rewind. In this episode, me and a few guests will discuss a case reviewed by the United States Supreme Court, Virginia v. Black. This case involves three individuals who burned crosses in Virginia in the year 2002. In 2002, Virginia had a statute which made it a crime to burn a cross in a public space or someone's property with the intention of intimidating any person or group of people. Barry Black, Richard Elliott, and Jonathan O'Mara were all convicted in separate cases for violating this statute. The statute also specifies that cross-burning is to be considered prima facie evidence of intent to intimidate. Now, prima facie in Latin is an expression which means at first sight. In this context of Virginia versus Black, cross-burning can be considered evidence until it is proven otherwise. This is just a brief introduction of the case. I will now introduce our first guest, Jessica, to discuss some important preliminary details that led to the decision in Virginia versus Black. Hi, Jessica. Now that we have discussed the basics of the case, could you go into more detail about the Virginia statute in question? Hi, Ariana. Thank you so much for having me. I would be happy to. I think a good place to start is with the actual wording of the Virginia law, and then I will talk about some of the implications. To find the law in question, we need to look at the Virginia Code under Title 18.2, which is titled Crimes and Offenses. Specifically, we need to look at Chapter 9, which contains code regarding crimes against peace and order. Then we need to look at Article 5, which contains code specific to activities tending to cause violence. The actual code site is titled 18.2-423, burning a cross on property of another or public place with intent to intimidate, penalty prima facie evidence of intent. The code itself reads, it shall be unlawful for any person or persons with the intent of intimidating any person or group of persons to burn or cause to be burned a cross on the property of another, a highway, or public place. Any persons who violate shall be guilty of a class 6 felony. Any such burning of a cross shall be prima facie evidence of intent to intimidate a person or group of persons. Okay, so we briefly touched on prima facie earlier, but can you go into more detail on how this part of the statute and the other elements of the Code on Crimes Against Peace and Order made this such a debatable case? So we have a few things going on here. To break it down, I will explain the three components of the Virginia Code that must be understood in order to uncover the controversy behind this case. Starting with the concept of intent. So, this law is dependent on the fact that the accused has burned the cross-shaped fire with the intent to intimidate another. Intent, as defined by Cornell Law, means the action proven by circumstantial evidence shows a series of mental aspects that triggered the action. Generally speaking, in order to prove intent, the defendant must simply show that the perpetrator intended to commit the action. There is no mistaking. In this case, that would mean that the intent was to commit the action of burning a cross with knowledge that it would be viewed by a person who would feel intimidated. As a result, one can be subject to a Class 6 felony. The second concept of a Class 6 felony can create a sentence that requires the accused to serve 1-5 to five years in prison and or pay up to a $2,500 fine. The accused will also carry a felony charge with them throughout their life. So, this is arguably a pretty serious sentence. So, finally, we move on to this concept of prima facie evidence. And prima facie is a Latin term that directly translates to at first sight. Cornell Law interprets this meaning as sufficient to establish a fact or raise a presumption unless disproved or rebutted. 
This is typically translated into law as something like guilty until proven innocent, where the accused is legally obligated to provide evidence proving their innocence. So in summary, we have a piece of Virginia law that if caught burning a cross, the evidence will be submitted to the court as prima facie evidence, assuming that the cross was burnt to intimidate another, unless otherwise proven. So the intent component that we talked about is automatically there. And as a result, the accused faces a class six felony for their action. So how did this statute come into play when the Supreme Court was making their decision? Great question. The answer on a surface level is pretty simple. That is a constitutional offense that prohibits free speech. In this case, the speech being symbolic, a cross burning. The actual wording of the First Amendment Free Speech Clause reads, Congress shall make no law prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the people to peacefully assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. In 2001, after three men in the state of Virginia were convicted of this crime under the Virginia statute, an appeal was made in front of the Virginia State Supreme Court. The state Supreme Court found the law to be in violation of the Constitution's free speech amendment. Therefore, the case was appealed to the U.S. Supreme Court, where we have a rich but complex history of free speech cases. Thank you, Jessica. Now that we know the burning of the cross was considered symbolic speech, we should start to know what symbolic speech really entails. I now have Sabrina joining me here, and she's going to tell us about symbolic speech cases that the United States had before Virginia v. Black was appealed to the Supreme Court. Thanks, Ariana. I would be glad to discuss the history of symbolic speech cases. First, I would like to define symbolic speech. Symbolic speech consists of nonverbal, non-written forms of communication, such as flag burning, wearing armbands, burning of draft cards, and as we see in this case, the burning of a cross. The First Amendment, as we know, contains protection of free speech. Is all symbolic speech protected under the First Amendment? Symbolic speech is protected by the First Amendment unless it causes a specific and direct threat to another individual or public order. Sometimes symbolic speech is more regulated than traditional speech forms because it involves conduct or actions, not simply words. Does the court have any way of determining which forms of symbolic speech can be regulated? Yes, we can see how the court decides which forms of symbolic speech can be regulated from United States v. O'Brien. This case established the O'Brien test that is still applied to other cases, although it is not always appropriate in every case. The O'Brien case involved a Vietnam War era law, which prohibited the destruction of draft cards. Congress defended the law on the basis that draft cards needed to be protected in order to indicate draft status since they were in time of mobilization. This caused the court to create the O'Brien test, which includes a four-part test to determine when regulation of symbolic speech violates the First Amendment. These four parts are... Is the law within constitutional power of the government? Does the law further a substantial or important governmental interest? Is the interest unrelated to the suppression of free expression? Is this regulation the least restrictive means with regard to free speech? The court ruled that the draft card regulation passed all parts of the test and was thus constitutional. Symbolic speech continued to be upheld in the Supreme Court with cases such as Tinker v. Des Moines, where it was ruled that the use of armbands was a peaceful form of symbolic speech, and in Texas v. Johnson, where flag burning is seen as free expression. This leads into the symbolic burning of crosses. RAV v. St. Paul deals with cross burning and the use of other offensive symbols that could be viewed as fighting words. St. Paul had passed an ordinance which banned swastikas, 
cross burnings, and other symbols, which would arouse fear or anger. They saw this as merely a ban on fighting words, which they argued are not traditionally protected by the First Amendment. The court ununanimously ruled that the ordinance was invalid and overbroad since it forbade only certain groups, allowing for cross-burning. This case leads into Virginia v. Black, where the court ruled that cross-burning can be prohibited if it is linked to direct threats to individuals, cities, or states. Cases like this, where there is an attempt to intimidate or commit an act of unlawful violence to others, is unprotected by the First Amendment. Thank you for explaining the history behind symbolic speech cases. It's interesting to see how the court began determining what was considered protected speech or not. Now that we're knowledgeable about the Virginia statute and symbolic speech, we can now get into the United States Supreme Court justices and their opinions in the case of Virginia versus Black. We will first hear from Gabby, who will lay out Justice O'Connor's majority opinion. Thanks for having me on, Ariana. So in regards to the majority opinion, Justice Sandra O'Connor begins by arguing that it is within the state's First Amendment rights to ban cross-burning carried out with the intent to intimidate. However, the section of the Virginia statute which classifies any type of cross-burning as prima facie evidence of an intent to intimidate is unconstitutional. O'Connor elaborates by explaining that in the United States, the act or threat of burning cross is inextricably intertwined with the history of the Ku Klux Klan. In regard to what protections are, and are not, afforded by the First Amendment, O'Connor explains that the court precedent has held that the government can regulate certain categories of expression, such as fighting words and true threats. Could you tell us how fighting words and true threats were differentiated with regard to expression in court cases? That's a great question, Ariana. In Chaplinsky v. New Hampshire, fighting words were defined as words in which their very utterance inflict injury or tend to incite an immediate breach of the peace whereas true threats, as defined in this case, Virginia v. Black, are statements where the speaker means to communicate a serious expression of an interest to commit an act of unlawful violence to a particular individual or group of individuals, and the speaker doesn't have to actually intend to, on carrying out the threat for the statement to be considered a true threat. Given these definitions, I think Justice O'Connor did a really good job at explicitly illustrating how these categories of expression relate to this case. When she delivered the opinion announcement, O'Connor explains that Intimidation in the constitutionally proscribable sense of the word is a type of true threat. The First Amendment permits Virginia to outlaw cross-burnings done with the intent to intimidate because burning a cross is a particularly virulent form of intimidation. This type of cross-burning is fully consistent with our holding in RAV. In RAV, we specifically stated that a particular type of content discrimination does not violate the First Amendment when the basis for it consists entirely of the very reason its entire class of speech is proscribable. Instead of prohibiting all intimidating messages, Virginia may choose to regulate this subset of intimidating messages in light of cross-burning's long and pernicious history. A plurality of the court, consisting of myself, the Chief Justice, Justice Stevens, and Justice Breyer, would hold that the prima facie provision, as interpreted through the jury instruction given in Black's case, is unconstitutional. The act of burning a cross may mean that the person is engaging in constitutionally proscribable intimidation, or it may mean only that the person is engaged in core political speech. The prima facie provision blurs the line between these meanings. The First Amendment does not permit such a shortcut. 
Thus, Black's conviction cannot stand, and the judgment as to him is affirmed. Justice Stevens also concurs in this case. Could you tell us what his opinion was? In his concurrence, Justice Stevens begins by affirming his agreement with the majority's argument that cross-burning with an intent to intimidate is a threat which is not protected by the First Amendment. He reminds the court that he dissented in RAV, then references both his and Justice White's opinions in that case, where they state their thinking as to why the basic provision in the Virginia statute should be upheld, despite the fact that it doesn't cover other types of threatening expressive conduct. Do you agree with Justice O'Connor and Justice Stevens in their analysis of this case? I agree with Justice O'Connor's analysis of the case and the conclusion that the prima facie provision strips away the very reason why a state may ban cross-burning with intent to intimidate in the first place. O'Connor also notes that the prima facie provision allows for the jury to convict in every cross-burning case, even those where the defendant exercises their constitutional right to not put on a defense. As a whole, it allows for people to be arrested, prosecuted, and convicted based solely on the fact that the cross itself was burned and not on the other circumstances regarding the case. I will admit that I get where Justice Thomas is coming from in the dissent, which Connor will analyze later, and that I can't really imagine other justifiable reasons why someone would burn a cross other than to intimidate, but that is not my call to make and shouldn't be an automatic assumption, but rather a conclusion drawn based on the burden of proof that is met. Justice O'Connor does make an interesting point about cross-burning as prima facie evidence being unconstitutional. While cross-burning can be seen as a very threatening action, it seems unfair to have the physical burning of the cross be seen as evidence right off the bat. It reminds me of the complete opposite of innocent until proven guilty from the Sixth Amendment of the Constitution. Thanks to Gabby, we know the majority opinion of the court given from Justice O'Connor. However, there was an important opinion in this case from Justice Thomas. We will now hear from Connor, who's going to give us an insight on Justice Thomas and his role in Virginia versus Black. Welcome, Connor. Thank you for joining us. Can you tell us about Justice Thomas and his opinion in this case? So, in this case, Justice Thomas gives an interesting opinion. He concurs in part alongside Justice Scalia and dissents in part. Firstly, I'd like to identify the aspects of the court ruling he concurred with. Alongside Justice Scalia, Justice Thomas agrees with Scalia's view of prima facie evidence, which is evidence in the judgment of law that is sufficient enough to establish a given fact and which not rebutted or contradicted will remain sufficient. Such evidence, if unexplained or uncontradicted, is sufficient to sustain a judgment in favor of the issue which supports, but once again can be contradicted by other evidence. Scalia notes the case Nance v. Commonwealth as evidence of the Virginia Supreme Court's understanding of prima facie evidence as that specific opinion shows the court's ability to interpret a law which, one, prohibited the possession of certain tools with the intent to commit crimes such as robbery and assault, and two, provided the possession of such burglarous tools shall be prima facie evidence of an intent to commit a crime. This evidence of intent to commit does not cut off the defense or impose an obstacle to contest the facts and does not relieve any aspect of the jury's duty. The ruling in this particular case is very similar to what the court would rule in Virginia versus Black. Once again, the knowledge previously mentioned maintains the idea that the Virginia Supreme Court understands the law at issue here. The Commonwealth therefore demonstrated that if the defendant burned a cross in public view, 
This is sufficient for the prosecution until the defendant comes forward with rebuttal evidence to create a jury issue with respect to the intent element of the offense. The jury, under no circumstances, can ignore the rebuttal evidence and convict the defendant of intimidation just because they had burned a cross. Presentation of evidence of this nature is sufficient to support the assumption that the defendant intended to intimidate as long as no rebuttal is procured. In ruling in this manner, the Virginia Supreme Court answered the question as to whether this type of evidence in the cross-burning statute is constitutional, and this type of overbreathed analysis is unprecedented and merely aimed to see whether someone could be convicted under a statute, not arrested and prosecuted. RAV v. St. Paul is also used as evidence to support this line of thinking as it criminalizes expressions thought to be protected by the First Amendment. Finally, the justices highlight the plurality of the analysis as it allows the Commonwealth to arrest, prosecute, and convict someone. However, this plurality comes with problems. Cross-burning is not always intended to intimidate, to put it quite simply, with two examples given by the justices. Firstly, cross-burning can be used as a statement of ideology in the case of, say, a KKK cross-burning. Secondly, cross-burning can be used to show group solidarity. An individual who participates in such actions, such as the ones previously listed, may be subject to conviction because of the plurality of the prima facie evidence provision. This possibility justifies facial invalidation of the statute. You say that Justice Thomas also dissented in part of this case. What was his dissenting opinion? Moving on to his dissent, Scalia concurs with the first three parts of the court opinion, while Thomas only agrees with the first two. His line of reasoning for the disagreement with the third part is in main part due to the court's seeming interest to only ban the conduct, but not the expression of cross-burning. Thomas disagrees with the court's line of thinking as this is overbearing conclusion of the statute, such that it sweeps over the line prohibiting cross-burning and certain areas of expression within this action. It completely ignores the reality of both the statute and the world as a whole. Assuming the statute implicates the First Amendment, it allows a jury to conclude in regards to intent to intimidate and cross-burning. Thomas disagrees as this line of thinking presents no constitutional problems, and as a result, he believes the statute at hand is valid. Would you say you'd agree with Justice Thomas's dissent? I would say that I agree with Justice Thomas's dissent for the most part. Um, the most prominent aspect for me is the note he makes about the jury's ability to conclude in regards to the intent of the action being debated here. It does not sit right with me personally due to the statute's seemingly juvenile perspective of the world, and I would argue that in certain cases, this line of law interpretation would cause problems for the defendant. Awesome job explaining his opinion to us, Connor. I'd also like to, again, thank our other guests for joining us and giving us all great insight on Virginia versus Black. And thank you, the listener, for your interest in today's Case Rewind episode. See you next time.